1 Kings chapter 19. Really, it's verses 1 through 18. And we're going to hit some of those this morning to bring out our point. Talking about Elijah. Elijah, in our story, is actually faced with death. And in this whole situation that we're going to talk about, Elijah loses his faith and the idea that God cared for him. And he actually lost sight of God's power, of what God has done and could still do. And I just want us to understand that I think this is important for us because it can happen to us. And I think Elijah can teach us some things from his experience. And it'll teach us something about our faith and uh, what we kind of need and maybe remember and do with our faith. little girl wrote a letter to God and said this. In Sunday school, they told us what to do. Who does that when you're on vacation? You know, I love that faith of a little girl. Another one said this, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. You know, kind of get that idea. Another one said this, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There's only four of us in our house, and I can never do it. Another one asked, did you mean for giraffes to look like that, or was it an accident? You know, just good questions. Another one says this, Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. Another one said, I read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school, they said you did it. I bet he stole your idea. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. And one of my favorites, Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. And that's good. I mean, these are little kids. And we understand with kids and faith, especially a little boy or little girl with their dad or with their mom when they bring them a broken toy or something that needs to be fixed, and they have all the faith in the world that it's going to get fixed because what? Dads and grandpas and moms and dads can do anything. And they have that faith. Or just when a little one falls and maybe scratches their knee or hurts their finger or whatever, and all they want is a, what, just a kiss. Kiss the boo-boo, and it makes it all feel better because they have that childlike faith. What I want you to see, first and foremost, in your outline is simply this. You have to love the childlike faith kids have. You have to love it. When children write letters like they did, that reveal this true childlike faith. The men don't understand the things of life, about life, that goes on in life, but understand, even though they may not understand all of that, they never doubt God. God is there, and that God cares for them because mom and dad or grandmas and grandpas are there to help reinforce it. But as we get older, and as we experience life, things change, don't they? I mean, life changes. Life can disappoint us. Dreams can get damaged. We experience pain. We experience loss and even rejection in life. And people will even hurt us. And when things like that happen in life, a lot of times we want to back up. We want to get back in our little corner, get in our little shell, find our corner. That's where we want to stay. And we tend to lose this innocence of faith that we had as children. Because we've seen it. We've experienced it. 
And if we're truthful about it, we don't like it when we feel the pain this world a lot of times throws at us. And that's why I think Paul wrote to the Christians, to the mature Christians, somebody actually said adult Christians, that we read in 1 Peter, where he says, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Now, I love that word all. I stressed it when we read it the first time. All your anxieties. A lot of times we won't give him all of them. We just give him what we think he can handle or what we think he needs to take care of. We'll keep the rest of them ourselves. But he says, cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? Well, one, he's God. But two, it says he cares about us. He cares what's going on. He cares about those anxieties, that pain, that rejection that the world is throwing at us. We have to remember, and I think it's something we always have to keep a focus on, is that God is a God that's not sitting up on his throne watching us and kind of laughing and saying, well, he should have saw that one coming. But he's a God who cares, who wants to take care of us and do those things. You see, as Christians, we need to focus on the faith we had as children because God hasn't changed. The same faith that we had as children, that we had in mom and dad, and even God, hasn't changed just because we've grown up, just because we've gotten hit with different things in life. He is still the same God we knew as children, and get this, he still cares for us, and he wants to care for us. Today, we're introduced to a man who was a great man of faith in the scriptures, I mean, this man performed miracles. He brought the dead back to life. He ascended into heaven in a fiery chariot. And to this day, Jews still speak of him in reverence as one of the most prominent prophets in the Old Testament. But he was also a man who struggled with this idea that God cared for him. You see, just days before the part that we're going to look at this morning, Elijah preached one of the greatest sermons he ever preached in his life. In this sermon, he confronts 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he exposes them for the false prophets that they are. And because of Elijah's faith, because of his obedience, God sends down fire from heaven and wipes them out. It consumes the sacrifice that Elijah had placed on the altar. Then a few hours later, God just doesn't send down fire from heaven. He sends rain from heaven on a land that hadn't seen rain for three years because God had brought judgment on that land three years prior. And Elijah is seeing this. When he preaches his sermon, he does all this stuff, and he says, my God will bring fire from heaven, and it happens. And this is not the fire that consumes it all, but then the rain that comes later. But this upsets somebody in his life. He makes mad this queen, this evil queen, who ruled over this land. Now, I want you to understand in our story, these are exciting days for Elijah. I mean, Elijah should be on cloud nine, but understand, even though he did all these things, he exposed the false prophets, he did what God said he could do, and God helped him do it, not everybody is pleased with Elijah that day. One of those people not pleased is this queen. Remember her name? Jezebel. Queen Jezebel. And she's just not mad. She's furious. Elijah has embarrassed her 
and he has killed some of her favorite hand-picked pagan priests. Now, I get what I get out of that is she picked priests who's going to tell her everything she's doing is good, what she wants to hear, what her itching ears want to hear. So these are hand-picked priests that's not going to go against her, so she gets everything she wants. She's just not out to get even. She's out for blood, Elijah's blood. And she says, Elijah, this message that basically says, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead, Elijah. Now, Elijah knows without a doubt she can get this done. She's killed other prophets of that day because they had gone against her. So he knows this can happen. So what we see here is Elijah. He's done some great things. He's preached a great sermon. He's one of the greatest prophets that we know. He's gone to heaven in a chariot. He's done all these things, but now he's faced with opposition. Somebody's coming up against him. What does Elijah do? He runs away. He runs away. He runs away like a dog with his tail between his legs. He's scared. He runs and he runs and he runs until he's so exhausted that he collapses under this tree they call a broom tree, and it just lies there. He's embarrassed by his being a coward, and all he does is he just wants to die. I mean, I'm thinking Jezebel wants to do it for you, but now you're running from the problem. You're doing all these things. Now you're under a tree. You're exhausted. Now here's my concern. Elijah is a great man of faith. This is a man of miracles and great deeds, but he loses his childlike faith that God cared for him. So here's my concern. The scripture says this. He was just like us. That's my concern. Here I see Elijah, what he's done, all the things that we've talked about. But it says in James 5.17, Elijah was a man just like us, just like you, just like me. Now, granted, he did things you and I could only dream of doing, you know, the miracles, the raising of the dead. But he's still governed by the same hand, the same God that has us under his hands. His emotions, his, his, his passion is all there. And that's something that God wants us to remember. We have to remember God could have told us all this cool stuff about Elijah and left all this other stuff out, how he was a scaredy cat of Queen Jezebel, how he ran away from opposition, how he got under this tree and just collapsed, and basically he just wanted to die because that would be easier. But I think God put this in the scriptures for us, even for today, because God wants us to know that this is the whole story about a great man of faith. That it could be any one of us that when we come up against this opposition, I don't care what it is in life, we come up against this opposition that we kind of forget God cares, that God is there, that God's going to carry us through no matter what's going on, and we can understand that God is for us. But one of the reasons God included this part of Elijah's story in the Bible is because we need to realize that God cared for him just like he cares for us. And we need to be reminded of that every day. Maybe sometimes multiple times throughout the day. That God cares for us just like he did with Elijah. I want you to notice what, does, what God does for Elijah. Listen to what he says. And Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. 
And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Now think about this. Here's a man, Elijah, who has done all these great things for God, done these miracles, preached the greatest sermon, did all this. Here's a man who's done all this, but now is a man who's lost his faith. I mean, he's exhausted. He just wants to lay down and sleep and die. And this verbal idea that he doesn't think God cares anymore and that God hasn't lived up to his part of the bargain, and some might think that God would be upset with Elijah. And say, okay, Elijah, if you want to think that way, if you want to feel that way, just lay under that broom tree for a while. Go hungry. Be thirsty. Just, just lay there if you want to for crying out loud. But that's not what God does. God tells Elijah, he doesn't tell Elijah, what's wrong with you? I love this about God. He doesn't blame Elijah. He doesn't say, Elijah, where's your faith? God doesn't tell Elijah, get on your feet, Elijah. Act like a man. That's not what he does. And I love this. But what does God do? You remember in the story? I love this. God lets him sleep. Why? Well, he's tired. He's exhausted. God lets him sleep. But then it says the angel returns a second time to feed him. So you've got to ask, what's going on here? Why would God just step back and do nothing? Why didn't God try to reason with Elijah and give him this lesson on faith? Why did he just let him sleep? Again, I love this part of the story. Why did God do that? Are you ready for this? Because it's what Elijah needed. It's exactly what Elijah needed at that point. He just needed to rest. He needed to sleep. Folks, I don't know about you, and we're probably all in the same boat, but when we go and go and go and we burn the candle on both ends and we don't get enough rest, what happens? We get so tired, we get so exhausted, little things, what happens? What happens with the little things? They blow up. And I found myself doing that. I mean, I can get tired. It could be because I'm tired of things that I've done for church and I've done for people and I'm doing it for God, or at least I say I am. You know, all those things, I get so tired. And then one little thing happens. Boom! I blow up. No, I'm refereeing. It's fun. I can just give the technical, you know. But it's kind of hard to give a technical to my elders and the board and all those kinds of people. They get upset with technicals, you know. But it happens. And I think this is what God knew about Elijah. Elijah had done all these things. He had to be exhausted. He'd been running and running and running. And God says, you know what? This is what they need. Sometimes we don't need answers. Sometimes we don't need explanations because sometimes the explanations are worthless. Sometimes we just need to go back and sit down and rest. Another source said that not getting enough sleep is, among other things, can trigger or worsen our anxiety. Remember what Peter said? Cast what? All of our anxieties upon him. When we don't get enough sleep, we don't get enough rest, it just makes it worse. So God gave Elijah what he needed, a time to rest, a time to sleep. Why? Because God cared for Elijah. It just wasn't God was using him as a prophet. God actually cared. But we also have to understand that sleep wasn't going to be enough. Sleep wasn't going to take care of everything that was fundamentally a problem with Elijah's anxiety. I think Elijah needed to know something else. 
I think Elijah needed to be reminded that God really cared for him. That he just really cared for him. Now that may seem odd for Elijah, this great man of faith, this great man of miracles, to have this crisis of faith, but we need to remember that he was a man, what? Just like us. Just like us. Yeah, he'd experienced God's power and influence, but in the face of this real threat, this very real threat, Elijah had forgotten all that God had done for him in the past. Remember what we said last week? When we get tired and bummed out, what should we do? Remember all the things God has done for us? Kind of go through that snapshot of what God has done to remind us. That's what God is telling Elijah. But now he is frozen in this faithlessness that is threatened to destroy him. And what was causing this crisis for Elijah were two lies that I think he believed. And these two lies have convinced him that God didn't care for him anymore. And the first lie is this. You're going to find this interesting because this is not my idea. I, I read this from somebody else, and I had to think twice about it, but I think it's true. The first lie Elijah believed, and why he's kind of lost his faith here, is that God needs me. Okay? When you hear that, you say, well, God, God does need us, and he does. But Elijah had to come to believe that he was, he was indispensable to God, that nobody else could do the job that he was going to do. Okay, so we have to understand that. In our text, God asks Elijah in verse 10, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's under this broom tree. What are you doing here? He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Did you catch it? Oh, woe is me. It's kind of what he's doing. I'm the only one left, God. I'm the only one that can do this job because they've killed everybody else. Elijah is saying, I'm the only one who stands in the gap. Elijah's kind of saying, I'm important here. If something happens to me, God, who's going to do the work? How's it going to get done? If something happens to me, you're going to be in trouble, God. You see, essentially, Elijah was telling God that he's indispensable. And sometimes we get this idea also. I've known ministers. I've, trust me, I've known ministers who will never take vacation because nobody can fill the pulpit like they can. Okay? That's, that's what they believe. So they burn out because they've never taken vacation. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't mind taking vacation. I really don't. Next week, John Graves is going to be here to preach while I get to preach in Montana when I'm out there next week. You know, and you think, well, you're not taking vacation. No, it's a mission trip. I'm going to preach to a little church in St. Ignatius, Montana. But I also know when John's here, because you've had him before, he does a fantastic job. You know, it's just one of those deals. But when we start to think that nobody can do what I do, what happens? We get in trouble. True story. When I was in Hayworth, we had a couple guys, they were both on the board, that had this idea that if they left the church, if they left the church, we would go broke. Two guys. They were both state farmers. They both made good money. They both lived in big houses. They both did all this. And that ticked me off. And I was tired, was going through a lot. I looked at him and said, Let it, let's try it. Basically saying, there's the door. 
If you think we're going to go broke because you too quit giving, and what I knew in the back of my mind, if they said that, they'd already quit giving to the church. I would say 99% sure. They left the church. We continued to grow. We never missed a beat. See, they were telling us and telling God they were indispensable because of who they were and their stature. We can't say that. And this is what Elijah's saying. You see, Elijah came to the conclusion that he was very important. In verse 18, he says, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, God says to Isaiah, or to Elijah, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not been kissed. Did you catch it? I have 7,000 people that can take your place. I got 7,000. In other words, Elijah, you're not the only one left. I have a backup plan. So many times we forget that he's the shepherd. And if we're working for him, we're doing what God is doing. All we are, somebody described it, we're the sheepdog. We're just kind of keeping everything in order as he does his work. We're the sheepdog. But Elijah had forgotten that. He forgotten who God was. He forgotten who he was. And when we forget that God is a shepherd and we're the sheepdog, we get depressed. We have this anxiety that come on. But Elijah had forgotten who God was, and Elijah had forgotten who he was. You see, we are his children. And when we forget that, that's when we get depressed. That's when we have all these things. We think all these things depend upon us, and then it's on our power and our strength and our time. And I guarantee you, when we try to do it on our strength, our time, and our power, we'll never get it done. It has to be a priority with us, with God, first and foremost. So that was the first lie, that God needed Elijah. And some of us fall into that trap. The second lie is actually summed up in a popular saying. It says this, I'll quote the first half, you fill in the blank. God helps those who help themselves, right? Folks, do me a favor. Never quote that as scripture. That is nowhere in the Bible. It's not in the Greek. It's not in the Hebrew. It's nowhere, okay? That is such a fallacy. It's totally false. It's heresy, okay? So if, in other words, if Elijah believed that God helps those who helps himself, then what Judas did, Judas just helped himself to the money that was in the coffers. No big deal. God helps those who helps himself. When the offering comes by after a while, we can take what we want out of it because God helps those who help himself, right? That's not what God's saying. That's not what we're doing. But it's a false teaching that God helps those who help themselves. It's deceptive indication that if I do my part, God has to do his. So Elijah believed God helps those who help themselves. Sometimes we fall into that trap, and when we say that, we say, well, if I do my part, God's going to do his. He has to do his. That's not what it says. It's not an unwritten contract. I did my thing. Now, God does this for me. But if God doesn't do what I want him to do, when I want him to do it, it's obvious that he doesn't care, right? Or he doesn't have the power to protect me. Or God doesn't pay attention to my needs. And that's what's dogging Elijah in his thoughts here. He thought his victory against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel had been a knockout blow for the king for King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. He'd thrown his best Sunday punch that he'd ever thrown that would end all the conflict of all time, but apparently someone forgot Jezebel. 
They forgot to worry about her. Jezebel comes back with them with a serious threat. Now, I want you to understand, Jezebel is just not this queen. And we say, you know, we call people Jezebels because they're mean and ugly. She's a scary woman, okay? She's put a number of God's prophets to death. Now she's threatening him as a result. And Elijah began to doubt God's power. I want us to catch this. God says, hey, Elijah, let me show you something. Verses 11 and 12. It says, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord is not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God is saying two things. First, he is saying this, not only am I big enough to tear this mountain apart. That's the first thing he's saying. God said, I've got the power. If that mountain that you're trying to cross, I can tear it apart. Remember the mustard seed of faith that it tells us that we can move a mountain? If we have that mustard seed of faith, why do we try to figure out how to go around the mountain or find a shortcut through the mountain? When God says, it just takes a little bit of faith and I'll move the mountain for you. And he is saying this to Elijah. Number one, I'm big enough to tear this mountain apart, but number two, I'm big enough to take Jezebel out at any time. Anytime I please. It's just that your calendar and my calendar aren't the same. My time is not your time. I can, I will take care of Jezebel when I'm ready, not when you're ready, Elijah. But when God is ready, you wouldn't want to be on his bad side. I guarantee you that. Even Thomas Jefferson, not a particularly religious man, noted this. He says, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever and how true that is so i want you to catch something as i close so we understand we read this this massive wind says there was this earthquake there was this fire and then the sound of god's voice and maybe when we think about god's voice and we think about hearing god's voice and in our life it should be this booming voice you know this god thing and it's loud and it's booming and there's no question who it is and we say okay god you know we'll do what you want us to do well, too often people look at God as this harsh, unsympathetic God of their needs, and they just want this booming voice. And they see it as a swift, powerful, merciless, and judgment kind of God, like it was symbolized by the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. But notice, God wasn't in those things. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. God wasn't in the wind. But where was God in this text? Do you remember? God was in the whisper. Remember Elijah? He was exhausted. What did God let him do? He rested. Folks, it's only when we take time to be quiet. It's only when we take time to get off by ourselves when nothing else can disturb us. Yeah, maybe with a cup of coffee or our favorite drink and all those things that we have, but we take time and we shut up long enough to allow God to talk to us. Why? Because a lot of times it's in that still, small whisper. That God wants to get our attention. And we think just because it's not this big, bold voice, it can't be God. But it's in that whisper. One last thing. You see, we have something Elijah did not. Yeah, God had, he had God talking to him. He had God encouraging him. He had God feeding him, doing all these things. We have the same small voice whispering in our ear that God cares for us. But Elijah 
didn't have that. I mean, he had the big voice, he had big guy, but we still have something more. You see, when Elijah was alive and doing all these things, he didn't have Jesus yet. So when it tells us that we can look at the face of God and we can see what God is doing, we look at Jesus and we have the whole picture. Folks, if Jesus going to the cross, dying for our sins, rising on that third day, going through everything that he went through, if that doesn't tell us God doesn't care for us and that Jesus doesn't care for us, I don't know what will. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Nobody has seen God that's living today. In fact, we haven't seen Jesus, but it also says if we look at the face of Jesus, who do we see? We see the face of God. So everything Jesus did, every place Jesus went, everything that he has done for us and will do for us, he's doing it for God. And the Bible says God cares for us. See, maybe we're in a position now in our life, we do have those things going on in our life. And you know what? Maybe we do just need to stop and we need to rest. And God says, you know what? If that's what you really need, I'm going to let you have it. Just rest. Stop. Take it in. But when he says it's time to do something and we're listening to that whisper, we can't turn it away. We can't turn it off. We can't say that it's not what we're supposed to do because it's just a whisper. So it must not be important because it really truly is.